And Lord, I pray that you would continue to uh, lead and guide us for your glory, Lord, that we may go out and share the gospel among the lost, that we would go out and do all that we can for your glory, Lord, that we would go out and share the gospel and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ to share the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Al and Leah. It's always good to have you guys back and have you here leading us. Al is one of those who sent out with a group of folk to plant Grace Covenant Church in Panama City. And we have told him several times we think we are going to revoke his contract and bring him back home. I, I don't know. Yeah, look there, Al. Looks like we voted on it. It would be unanimous. So we won't vote <laughs> today. All right, well, find your place with me in Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter number 4 is where we are, picking up on the heels of where we were last Sunday. We've been preaching through Mark's Gospel for some time. Here is the benefit of preaching through a book the way we have been doing. Unless I was purposefully preaching through a book, the passage that we come to today is a text that I would never just out of the blue decide that I'm going to preach. It's almost as you have to be forced into some text, and this is one of those texts. So here we go. Let's find our place in Mark chapter 4, verse number 21. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 21, And he, that is Jesus, was saying to them, that is, to his disciples, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand for nothing is hidden except to be revealed nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light if anyone has ears to hear let him hear and he was saying to them take care what you listen to by your standard of measure it will be measured to you and more will be given you besides for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Well, would anybody like to do this? I will sit down and listen. This is one of those texts in which Jesus is illustrating what it is that he's trying to communicate. And when you look at this passage, you think, my goodness, what in heaven's name is he trying to say? Because it appears that there's three or four proverbial wisdom statements kind of jammed together and thought seems to go from here to here to here to here and it looks like there's no coherency to it and because of that, this is probably one of the most misunderstood passages that we find in the book of Mark. Not only is it misunderstood, but it's misapplied because we normally let those individual statements take our mind somewhere outside the context of the passage, and then we end up misapplying and misunderstanding what it is that Jesus is saying. So the first thing that we have to do before we can offer any type of explanation as to what Jesus is saying here and what his intention is in teaching uh, uh this passage or in saying what he said to his disciples is that we must determine the context. Context, context, context. 
A text without context is pretext. So in order to establish context, we need to back up a little bit. So let's back up and look at what it is that he has said uh, in the previous verses. You know, he was talking about how a farmer sows the seed, and the seed being the Word of God, and how the Word finds lodging in four different types of soils. And as he told that parable, look what happened in verse number 10. You notice I skipped this last week in order to connect it to what we are looking at this week. Notice what happened in verse 9, or verse number 10. As soon as he was alone, now check this out, alone. Jesus being alone is not defined as you and I being alone. Me being alone means that I am by my lonesome. There's no one else with me. But the closest thing Jesus could get to being alone was having 12 knotheads with him, huh? That were always asking him a ton of questions. So it's interesting the way Mark puts that. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parable that he just told, uh, specifically the parables. And this is about the one he just told about the soil. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they may return and be forgiven. And then notice what he does. Then he gives an explanation, and again in verse number 13, he kind of chides them for not understanding the simple meaning of the parable. He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? In other words, he's saying, Look, this is the easiest I've got. And if you didn't get that, there's no way you're going to get what I still have to say. So he's kind of chiding his disciples and those who are closest to him, saying, You boys... And you girls ought to be getting this. So he explains the parable uh, very plainly in the next few verses. Now look where he picks up in verse number 21. So what he does is he goes back after explaining the parable, picks up the thought that he introduced in verse number 11 when they were asking him what the parable meant. And he said, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. So here's what he does in our text today. He basically gives a lesson on how to understand your Bible. That's what he does. So let's look at it and see what it is that the master teacher has to say about understanding God's Word. And I want to speak to you on this subject. Mystery solved. In or out, have or have not. It's bottom line. Notice again what he said in verse number 11. For you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. Do you understand if you are a born again believer, he has given you something that enables you to understand precisely his word. 
And if you have not been born again, then God's Word, which is spiritually discerned, is like listening to Charlie Brown's teacher. Y'all remember how Charlie Brown's teacher sounds? Yeah, that's right. Wah, 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 wah. That's what the Word sounds like to somebody who has never been born again. So you can understand why Jesus looks at His disciples and says, Wait a minute, why are y'all not getting this? And notice how black and white it is with Jesus. Hey, uh, comes right down to it, and I'm going to say this a little bit later, our ability or inability to understand, perceive, and apply God's Word correctly says something deeply about us as individuals. And Jesus sets it up in a black and white type of scenario. Notice what He does as He talks about people. He says, you are either productive or you are barren. You get that? There's no middle ground. That's what the parable of the soil is about. You're either bringing forth a crop or you have crop failure. Now in these verses today, he tells us, you are either inside or you are outside the kingdom. Now check this out. Look with me again in verse number uh in verse number 11. But those who are outside, you may want to underline that word, to those who are outside. He says, they get everything in parables. So those who are outside are those who are not the children of God, those who have never been born again, those who are unequipped to understand spiritual truth. Now, look what he does. This is amazing to me because Mark intentionally uses this word here to connect it with something that happened in verse 32 and 31 of chapter 3. Notice what the Bible says. Then his mother and his brothers, biological, that is. So we're talking about Mary and the half-brothers of Jesus. They arrived and they are standing where? Outside. Check out again in verse 32. A crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside. You see, they thought he had gone crazy. Matter of fact, they were there to baker at Jesus because they thought he had lost his mind. So it's really not a flattering picture of Mary. You know, uh, there are some folk who venerate Mary to a place of equal authority with God, and matter of fact, she's known as the co regents Think that she was virginally conceived and all This is not a very flattering picture of her. So Jesus says, you're either fruitful or you're barren. You're either inside or you're outside. And then finally he says, you either have or you have not. In this text that we're looking at today. So hey, let's get this wrong. Get this right. There's no middle ground here. You are either a child of God or you're not. It's kind of like being pregnant. There's no such thing as being a little bit pregnant. You understand what I'm saying? Ladies, you understand. You either are or you're not. And here's the same way spiritually. You are or you're not. You're in or you're out. You have or you have not. You're fruitful or you're barren. That's all there is to it. 
So let's check this out now and look at this mystery that Jesus talks about. To you has been given the mystery. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about you have the ability to understand what I'm saying. You have the ability to understand God's Word because you are on the inside, right? And to you has been given the mystery. You have the key to unlocking spiritual truths. So don't look at me like a calf looking at a new gate when I'm teaching you some simple spiritual truths. You folk have got to be able to get this stuff. So he begins with them right there. Now what does he tell us? Let's again look at this as Jesus teaching us something about Bible study. So here we go. Here's the first thing he says in our passage. He says those outside the kingdom misuse the word and it becomes counterproductive. Here's one characteristic of somebody who is outside the kingdom. Remember? He's talking about outsiders and insiders, haves and have-nots, those who are barren, those who are productive. Notice what it is he says. Here's how he illustrates it in verse number 21. Here's the misuse of the word. Hey, is it possible to misuse God's word? You better believe it is. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of charlatans today out there on the internet and on TV. It kind of scares me a little bit. When some folk at Grace tell me that they've been listening to a preacher on the internet. Because I want to tell you, there's more weirdos out there who are misusing God's word than there are folk who are true expositors of truth. So it always scares me. And you know what? As a pastor, most of the theological fires I have to put out come from somebody listening to a heretic that they should have never been listening to misuse the Word of God. You know, that's just our nature, though, as human beings, to misuse good stuff that God gives us, do we not? I mean, every good and perfect gift comes from above, and we have a stewardship responsibility to whatever God gives us. But think of all the good things that God has given that we misuse and it becomes counterproductive. Hey, the Word is no different. The Word can be misused and when it's misused, it becomes counterproductive. How is it misused? Well, first thing I think happens when the word is misused is it causes spiritual darkness. Notice he talks about a lamp. Here's what he says. A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Well, what happens when you take a lamp and you put it under a basket? All of a sudden, darkness takes over, does it not? Because the light is shut up. And you know that there are folk who misuse God's Word that way simply by shutting it up and not allowing it to shine. A, a little history lesson here. You know, there is a time that no matter what college you go to, whether it's Chipola, uh, whether it's the Baptist College of Florida, whether it's uh, UF or Florida State, you're going to have to take some world history courses. And everybody knows that there's a period in history in the Middle Ages that's known as the Dark Ages. But here's what they don't teach you in secular colleges or in state colleges. They don't tell you why it's called the Dark Ages. Do you know why it's called the Dark Ages? Well, no, but here's why it's silent. Because the Catholic Church took God's 
word and shut it up. They took it out of the hands of the people. They insisted that it only exist in Latin, and Latin was a dead language. So the only people who could actually read the scripture were her. Were who? Priests who had been trained in Latin. So nobody had God's word. So it's called the Dark Ages. Now here's what happens about 1490. About 1490, there's a man comes along named Gutenberg. Anybody remember Mr. Gutenberg? What did Gutenberg do? Well, he invented this little machine called the printing press. And now they're able to mass produce things for the first time in the history of the world. Well, at the same time Gutenberg's over there in Germany working on his printing press, there are some things taking place spiritually as well. There are guys coming on the scene like Martin Luther and like um, uh, Ulrich Zwingli and like John Knox. They're known as the Reformers. And they are incensed on how the Catholic Church is abusing people in the name of religion. So these guys began to recover scripture and old Gutenberg's over here says, hey, you know what, I can print that thing if y'all want me to. So guess what the first thing that was printed in mass volumes on the newly invented printing press? It was the Word of God printed in the language of the people. Now watch this. You know what happens next? Here's what even the secular historians the period following the Dark Ages is known as Enlightenment. Here's what they don't tell you. They don't tell you why it's called Enlightenment. But now you know it's called Enlightenment. Because all of a sudden the Word of God is put back in the hands of the people and light bulbs begin to go off. So on the, hands of, on the, on the heels of Enlightenment we have Renaissance, we have Industrial Revolution, we have the modern era ushered in. Why? Because the Word of God has been taken out from under a basket. Well, when the Word of God shut up, cause a spiritual dark. Look, it can put the entire globe as it did then in spiritual darkness. But here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the Word being under a basket and shutting you up in spiritual darkness. Because, you know, you don't have to put it under a bushel for it to cause spiritual darkness in your life. You can just put it on the coffee table and not pick it up. Huh? I mean, isn't ignoring the word misusing the word? Uh, you can just fail to give it any thought between now and next Sunday and there's going to be a degree of spiritual darkness in your life. So here's what Jesus says. Those on the outside misuse the word. They put it under a bushel. It's not meant to be put under a bushel. And when they put it under, under a bushel, it causes spiritual darkness. Well, not only does it cause spiritual darkness when it's misused, but it can also cause serious damage. Look what else he look, look at the other analogy he gave. He said it's not to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed. Now, he's not simply just talking here about the fact that if you put it under a bed, you don't have a whole lot of light. He's talking about, have y'all ever been to those old places where they have old-timey beds? Um, we were at uh, Callaway Gardens back over the Christmas break, and they've got some mattresses in there made out of pine straw. How'd you like to trade in your Sealy Posturepedic for a pine straw mattress? Huh? Yeah. 
So what's going to happen if you put a lamp that has a live flame underneath that type of bed? You might to burn your house down. Am I right? That's what he's talking about. He says, you go ahead and take the lamp and you put it where it's not supposed to be. You handle it like it's not supposed to be and it's going to cause serious damage. Hey, have any of you had somebody try to burn your bed with, misuse, with the misuse of God's Word? You ever had somebody just try to destroy you with a misuse, a heretical interpretation of God's Word? That's exactly what takes place. So number one, Jesus says, those who are on the outside, the only thing they can do with the Word is misuse it, and it causes spiritual darkness, and it causes serious damage. And I want to tell you, this book is meant to build you up. Hear what I'm saying. Paul, over there in Ephesians, when he, uh, when he was leaving the city of Ephesus, here's what he told those Ephesian elders. He says, Now I commend you to God, and the word of His grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And let me go on record by saying, you listen to somebody who uses this book to tear down all the time, that's, that's serious damage. There are people who would like to turn this thing into a jackhammer to break you in half. When the intent is to build you up. Well, enough about that. i got to get to the good side of this thing. All right, here we go. Those outside misuse the word and it becomes counterproductive. Those inside the kingdom have the meaning of the word manifested through great care. Jesus uses all of those words here. That word manifested or, or is translated revealed here uh, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed. The, the word behind that means this. Uh, do you remember, here's what's so cool about Jesus after he was resurrected. Between his resurrection and his ascension, the disciples would be huddled in a room scared to death and all of a sudden, boop, Jesus would be there. And this is the word they use. He manifested himself. And it means that Jesus had the ability to travel between realms. He had the ability to travel between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. So he would just like whoop, rip that little space-time continuum and step into it and there he is in the room with them. And you see, that's the word he uses here with, 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 with the word. Uh, making it come into your reality. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Listen, so many preachers today want to take the Word and leave it out there somewhere so high on a high plane in heaven with the eternal decrees of God. But it is God's intention that the Word manifest itself. It steps into your reality. It steps into your living room and it lightens your world. That's God's intention for His Word. So check this out. How is it? I mean, Jesus said to you, you has been given the mystery. So those inside the kingdom have the meaning of the word manifested through great care. So here I am studying this passage this week, and I had to employ everything that I learned right here in this passage for it to make sense. 
I mean, a tough, tough passage. So let's check out what he's saying. How is it that the Word comes to life for us as believers? How is it that it steps into our business with us? Well, the first thing that Jesus says here is interesting to me. He says that concealment is the first step to illumination. Concealment. Now, look at what he says in verse number 22. Except to be revealed. You see what he's saying? He's saying there's nothing here that God intends to leave hidden from you. There's nothing here that God intends to keep it concealed. But guess what? There are some things concealed. As a matter of fact, have you ever read your Bible and thought, Dear God, what does that mean? Huh? You ever been there? Well, guess what? Don't let that discourage you. That's the starting place. Here's where everybody starts with God's Word. So, hey, I want to tell you something. I start every Monday morning with the text that's next that I know I'm going to have to preach on Sunday. And every Monday morning, 9 o'clock, I'm walking around the house and I tell Heather, there's nothing in this passage. <laughs> It's going to be the shortest sermon in the history of the world. Matter of fact, it might be a testimony day Sunday because <laughs> there's nothing in here. There's nothing in here. I'm convinced there's nothing in here. And by the time I'm through, I'm having to edit it to make it fit in the time slot that I have. So concealment, don't be discouraged. There's some parts of this words that are hid. Jesus said that. He said it's hid from those who are on the outside. But to you has been given the mystery. You can unlock it. Don't be discouraged. Concealment. As a matter of fact, if you read God's Word and it immediately blossoms for you, I'd be worried. Because it's probably not blossoming flowers, but weeds. It's probably a misunderstanding. Notice what it is that Jesus says. Concealment is the first step of, of illumination. Here's what He said. For nothing is hidden. And look, here's what He says. Except... For the purpose of being revealed is the literal translation to that. So yes, it's a complicated, complex book. It is the It's God trying to speak in childlike language, in child babble for us to understand. And look, look what else he says. Nor has anything been kept secret. Now keep in mind the context here is the Word of God. Are you with me? He's been talking about the Word. He's telling His disciples they have the ability to understand it. So He's speaking about the Word when He's saying, Oh, it might be concealed for a little while, but it's concealed for the purpose of a big reveal one day. And that reveal off out there in the sweet by and by is for you to understand so you have the light for living in the here and now. Now I told you this is pretty challenging and pretty deep water, but notice, here's the first step. Concealment is the first step to illumination. Now concern is the natural reaction. When you read a text of Scripture and you don't get it, you know what it should cause within the heart of a child of God? Because you know this is written for you. You know you've been given 
the keys to understanding it, but yet you don't? That should cause concern. And I heard Myra Meyer say it like this this week at Grace Group. Here's what she said. She said, this passage of Scripture vexes my soul. And it should. That's the second step in arriving at the right conclusion and having it come to light and life before you. It's concern. If it doesn't vex your soul to the point to where you can't get over it, I can't just let a text lay there and be content and saying, I don't have a clue what that means. Man, when I'm in a text, I can't get to the heart. I spend sleepless nights. And can I say to you also that when there's a text out there and I know that God's intent is for His people to get it, it's like a red flag in front of a bull. We're going to get this, God. We're going to get it. Notice what else the Bible says. And here's where I was hinting at a little while ago. I want you to get this quote. Our relation to the Word is the litmus test of our identity. That's what he's saying here. Our relation to the Word of God is the litmus test to our identity. Here's how you know you're a child of God. Because God's Word blossoms for you. You understand it. But there's some passages that are concealed. And they vex your soul. See, if we don't have that basic dynamic going on around God's Word, if we can just say, I don't understand, it's too complicated, put it on the shelf and not think about it anymore. Concern of all concerns. Am I really a child of God? Notice what else Jesus teaches us. He teaches us, number one, in this Bible study text that concealment is the first step of, to illumination. Concern is the natural reaction to concealment. But comprehension is not optional. Hey, you don't have the option of just saying, well, I don't get it. And walk away from it. That's not an option. Look what Jesus on and He says this. He says in verse number 24, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. Now get this again. A lot of times we misuse this text because we don't get the context. He's talking about God's Word. So normally what we think when we read that, by what measure you measure, we think, hey, I've got a little shovel, so I'm going to shovel my resources into the kingdom, and then God has a bigger shovel. He's going to shovel resources back to me. Ain't that the way we normally go with the text? That's a misapplication. He's not talking about resources and stewardship. He's talking about God's Word. So how can you figure out what a measure, and the Greek word there is metroi. We get our word metric from it. So what is the metric, what's the standard of measure that we use when it comes to God's Word? Because that's what he's talking about. When he talks about comprehending God's Word and saying that it's not an option. You've got to understand it. Look what he does. He says, take care of what you hear. Now, 
I, I love what Luke, Luke records this same incident, and here's, here's, what, here's how Luke says it. He says, take care how you hear. So I think the import here is not content, but watch me. It is very important, the content of what you hear, i.e., internet preachers. You need to know that you know that you're listening to somebody who can shell the corn and who is dedicated to scriptural exposition rather than misusing it and using it to cause serious damage in the lives of unsuspecting believers. So content's important. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about content. He's talking about what you what you hear. And he uses the word take care. And here's the deal. If I were to give you a tomato plant, I mean it's tomato plant time, isn't it? If I were to give you a tomato plant, set it on this table and say, now you take care of that tomato plant. Now what are you going to do with that tomato plant since I told you to take care? Well, you're going to make sure it has water. You're going to make sure it has a little miracle grow every now and then. You're going to come back and you're going to pull weeds out of it as they begin to crop up. You're going to come and, and, and you're going to give that tomato plant attention three or four times during the day, right? That's what Jesus is saying here about the Word. Take care. Take care. Take care. And it has more to do with, with our concentration than it has to do with content of what's being heard because he's talking about God's Word. God's Word. So he doesn't call into question the content. He calls into question what we are doing with what we're hearing. And he says comprehension is not, it's not an option. You've got to get it because to you have been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. So now the question remains, how do you size up a measure for God's Word? Because here's what he says. By your standard of measure, now that's in how you're dipping into the Word. What are you using? What's the measure? Well, here we go. What does it require? What is a measure? Well, to understand the Word first requires a measure of time. Requires a measure of time. Can I say to you that very rarely does the Word manifest its greatest meaning on the surface? you got to spend time with it. And I don't mean just spend time reading the entire Bible. I mean being consumed with one particular text and spending time with it. Folks say to me sometimes, Pastor Richie, this is, this is easy for you because you've been trained. You can read Greek. You can handle Hebrew. You've had hermeneutics. You've studied epistemology. <laughs> You can do this, but can I say this? Listen to me. Without spending time, Monday through the time I get up and preach, if my mind isn't consumed with that text, reading Greek is nothing more than reading Greek. That's all it is. It requires time. I come to church on Sunday, happened this morning. I'm standing right back there. Dane Caldwell says, are you ready? No, I'm not ready. I still got 10 minutes left to think about this. 
It requires time. So can I ask you, with what is your mind consumed during the week? How big is the measure, the scoop, the metric, the metroid of time that you are putting into God's Word? That doesn't mean you've got to be shut up in your prayer closet with the book open in front of you 24-7. It means God puts a text in your heart and you carry it with you everywhere you go. Here's what happens with me. By Monday about 12 o'clock, just from studying this text from so long in the different languages, I'll have it memorized. It's here and it's here. And I'm thinking there ain't nothing in here. And all during the week, God does me like he did Jeremiah. Remember he took Jeremiah to the potter's house. He said, now, this is what I'm talking about, Jeremiah. It's amazing when I've got a text on my heart how God will just weave things into the daily course of my life that'll help me understand what that text is talking about. And it would never happen if there wasn't a text here or here. So number one, I want to ask you, how big is the measure of time you're using to shovel the Word of God into your heart? Number next, not only does it require a measure of time, but it requires a measure of thought. A measure of thought. You know, as, as I think about and, and I think about it now a whole lot more than I did when I was doing it. But when I think about my educational process, you know what my professors were trying to do and they, wouldn't, they didn't even tell me? They were trying to teach me to think. How to think. How to think. How to think biblically. How to think theologically. How to think consistently. How to think about a text. Because you see, if we're going to have that text manifest where it steps into the reality of our world today and have a present effect on my life in a positive way that builds me up and equips me and causes me to be fruitful, then man, i got to think about it. And here's the deal. I find that most folk, when it comes to Scripture, instead of turning their mental faculties on, they flip them off. Flip them off. Can I say to you that God is pleased when His people dig, analyze, and get into the text and learn to think critically. I don't mean that in a in criticizing question as if it is God. No, I mean analyzing that thing properly. It pleases God when we do that. And can I say to you, that's how the meaning manifests itself. Watch, I'm going to show you something here. Number one, it requires a measure of time. So when he's talking about a scoop, when he's talking about a metroid, he's talking about a metroid of time, he's talking about a metroid of thought that we're digging into the Word, it requires a measure of tenacity. Tenacity. You know what that means? That means you grab onto it like a bulldog and you refuse to let go. Hey, y'all be like a snapping turtle. You know what they say about snapping turtles, huh? This is why I was always scared of them, because my mama used to always tell me, son, if he bites you, he ain't going to let go till, till it thunders. That's right. So I was scared to death of snapping turtles. Matter of fact, I'm still not fond of them. <laughs> but I'm not fond of them because they look too much like a snake, so I kill them because of, uh, of, of association. <laughs> Sticks his head up and looks like a snake. He ain't biting me and sticking on my, my handle at thunders. That's the way we ought to be with the text. We ought to have a snapping turtle mentality. 
and just stick with it tenaciously. It thunders the meaning and manifests itself into our soul. Now, check this out. Comprehension, Jesus says of the text, is not an option. And then I like this. He says compensation is disproportionate to effort. Look at this. Isn't this just like God and His grace? Look what He says. He says, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And check this out. And more will be given you besides. So here's the deal. Your comprehension of that text is going to be congruent with the measure that you use. If you put a little bit of time into it, you're going to have a little understanding. But here's what he says. With what measure you use, God's got a bigger measure. So it's disproportionate. Here's what I love about working on a cross-cultural mission field. I mean, Heather and I, as you know, were frontline missionaries for a bunch of years. And I went to the mission field from a traditional pastorate. And here's what you do in a traditional pastorate. You work like a dog, laboring in the field for 10 years, and you see about 10 minutes worth of results. It just comes slow here. We went to a cross-cultural mission field where folk don't have an opportunity to hear God's Word, and we found out we could work down there for 10 minutes, and it's like we would receive years' worth of return. It was amazing. It was addicting. And can I say it's the same? That's what Jesus promises with the Word. He says, if you'll put a little in, I promise you, you'll get a ton back. You put a little thought in, and God's going to reward you with even more than you put in it. It's disproportionate. God's going to overwhelm you. Can I say to you, give it a try, and you watch and see if God doesn't blow you away. You might think you're just ankle deep. Next thing you know, God turns on shower, and you're up to your waist. And it's addictive when that begins to happen. So here we go. Jesus says as it relates to the word, concealment is the first step to illumination. Concern is our natural reality. Comprehension is... Compensation is disproportionate to effort. And then finally, he says, capacity is determined by attentiveness. Look what he says in verse number 25. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. There you go. You get a little bit, and guess what? God's going to give you more. But check out what else he says. He says, And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. So here's what he's saying. He's saying our capacity is determined by what he says in verse number 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, you've been given the capacity to hear. And the word there for hear means to take it into our hearts where it's planted in good soil. We take it in. Here's, the, here's what's so cool about it. Your ability to grasp God's word and have it bring forth fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold in your life has very little to do with your level of intelligence. It has very little to do with the level of your education. Ain't that the truth? It has everything to do with the measure 
It has everything to do with your attentiveness to the Word. Some of the best teachers that I have sat under in my life were guys who had no formal education at all. But son, they were students, hear me, of the Word. And can I say it like this? God reserves the most edifying spiritual truth contained in His book for those serious students who will dig into it. You shovel in a little bit of time and thought and tenacity and the God of heaven will give you understanding. He just does. Katie, consider what I say, Paul said, for the Lord will give you understanding. You see, Paul had the same mentality. You consider what I'm writing and God will give you understanding. You consider it and He's going to shovel it into your life and he's going to addict you to it because man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So your capacity is not determined. Don't tell me. Well, brother, it just didn't. I just wasn't a good student in school. I don't care what you did in school. I only care what are you doing with the book. And if you're giving it attention, son, the sky is the limit. It really is. Check out what Jesus says again in verse 25. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. It's like a snowball rolling downhill. Once you crack the dam, it's like it gushes through it. To him who has, to more be given. So here's the deal about capacity. Number one, it's expanded. Once you start, it's amazing to me how God expands and increases your capacity. really is. The Word is not only the content, but the Word is kind of like, you know what's so cool? I, I like to use that stuff. It's, uh, it's that insulating foam. Oh, man, and they have some that's what they call uh, low pressure. You know, you put that in places that you don't want it to put a lot of pressure when it expands. They got other that's high pressure. And that's kind of how the Word is. Hey, if you can get a crack in your heart, for God to stick the, stout, the, 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 the spout of that expanding word, the content goes in and the content also expands your capacity. The more you take in, the more capacity you have. So here's the deal. Your capacity is determined by attentiveness and your capacity is only, only, two, only two options here. It's either expanded or it's expunged. Now, what does expunged mean, Julie? You know what it means. I asked Julie earlier, I said, let me test you, you know what expunged means? And she was pretty close. But I said, I'm glad you don't know what it means because it's a term that's used in court a lot. If you go before the judge and you're falsely accused, he can expunge it from your records. You know what that means? He takes it away and it was like it never was there. But look, Jesus says, to him who has, more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what, and you can insert this, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Can I say this to you? Jesus is not a socialist. Did you get that? You know, because here's what, here's what socialism does. Socialism takes away from those who have and gives it to those who have not. 
It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. Jesus looks at those who have spiritual understanding and He gives them more. And the ones who are slothful and don't have, here's the principle that we got to understand. You know, in our economy, it's usually the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. It's not that way in, in, in the kingdom of God. Squeaky, squeaky wheel gets no grease. The wheel that gets the grease is the one that's carrying the load. So here's the deal. If you need a shot of grease, carry the load. You need a shot of understanding, get in the book. Because he who has, to him more will be given. To him who has not, even going to take away what you think you have. And boy, if that's not true in discipleship, it seems like some folk are just on a steady trajectory upward while others are passing them on the same angle going down. It all revolves around our relation to the Word. You understand why Grace Church is committed to the Word? This is why one of our foundational principles is to teach the book. I commend you to God and the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Help us, God.